Awesome. Hey guys, how are we doing? Hey, can I ask you guys to do a little something for me? You're so far away from me. Can we feel a little bit more? You don't have to sit right in front of me because then I'm the pulpit's blocking you. But if there's a space in front of you, just so it's not awkward, we can be friendly. Now there's a whole empty row there on the third row. It's, like, it's beckoning to be filled fourth row. It's beckoning. All right. So good. Well, the book of Ephesians. That's a joke from last week. It's a little in-joke from last week. So if you, if you missed it, well, you just missed it. The book of Ecclesiastes. There we go. That's the right one. Hey, it's been so good the last couple of weeks. Like Pastor John said earlier, um, there is a fourth week that you will not get. Uh, in your notes, you'll notice that there's actually a point four, but some of that we'll draw on today. But the reason why we didn't get to that is because Father's Day, um, one of our values as a church is family. And so we wanted to make sure that Father's Day was kept open and free for families to get together. But another value we have as a church is Bible-based teaching yeah. with real-life application. And that's what Pathways Through the Word is all about. And so I love this faithful few that have come out every night. It's been really encouraging. Um, because I know that you guys have a love and a passion for the Word. Um, I know many of you personally. Actually, I know all of you. Um, <laughs> and I know that you guys are, are strong in the Word and that you guys see the value of that. And we, we really want to encourage the rest of our church to, to grow and foster a love uh, of God's Word. And that's why we do this. Yeah. Um, you know, so many Christians, even particularly in our faith, uh, flavor of, you know, evangelical or Pentecostal Christianity, so many of uh, even in youth, I, I know as the youth pastor, so many of them are biblically illiterate, um, which means you know they may know some of the Bible stories from Sunday school, but they, that you you couldn't ask them where they could find it in Scripture, or you couldn't even ask them how it would apply to their lives. And so we know that Jesus said, "Yeah, the wise man is the one that hears my word and applies it." Yeah. And so I hope, and I want to encourage you guys as we read through some of Ecclesiastes tonight, to not just think of this um, as information, like Pastor John said, but think about how we can apply it to our lives and see transformation. Um, because if we're not thinking about application, um, then it's just a Bible study. We're just looking at a text from a couple thousand years ago. But this word is alive and it's active, amen? And it has the power to transform our lives. So tonight... Ecclesiastes, we're looking, I'm kind of looking at two different sections. We're looking at chapter 7 and uh, chapter 6 as well, but we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to start with chapter 7. And the title of this section is Wisdom's Life Lessons. Wisdom's Life Lessons. Now, when I first heard that we were doing Ecclesiastes, I thought, oh, that's a bit boring. <laughs> that's a bit depresso. Well, back in my year eight days, we'd say, that's a bit emo. But there's more wisdom in Ecclesiastes than I initially assumed. <laughs> Don't be fooled by its depressing and existential exterior. At the start of this year, as we do every year, we obviously are planning for Vision Sunday. That's the big thing, the first well, actually, this year it was the second Sunday of Feb, but usually the first Sunday of Feb, Vision Sunday. And we're gearing towards it. We've had our retreat in October. This year we had our retreat in September. Um, 
And we talk about the theme for the next year and then we get to January and after all the Christmas and New Year's hullabaloo, we're like, okay, Jackson, we got to sit down, we got to come up with a pre-roll. Do you know what I mean when I say pre-roll? It's the roll that happens pre-service. So if you are luckily, luckily enough, lucky enough to be on time to church or, or even better yet, early to church, you would see this amazing pre-roll video that Jackson plays for us every Sunday and he puts so much effort to them into them every year he does a phenomenal job but at the start of this year we were thinking life to the max john 10 10 how do we encapsulate this vision this theme for the year and i had the bright idea and jackson will take some credit for it as well i said i said don't worry mate i'll just put all the good stuff on you and i'll put all the all the bad ideas on me he's like no no no. include me in this we'll, we'll go down together but the idea was maybe instead of like just talking about John 10.10, we could start with something from Ecclesiastes. How about we take some of the real depresso, existential quotes from Ecclesiastes and contrast it with the abundant life uh, found in Jesus in John 10.10. And I thought that putting the dark next to the light, you know, it, it would really uh, bring the light of Jesus and the life that he has to, to give us. I thought it would really let that shine through on a Sunday morning. And so we put together this script and we shot this video with, uh, with Geordie Lewis, who did a fantastic job um, narrating and, and, and performing um, this script that we put together. And uh, I just wanted to show you, this is, imagine this, imagine there's a parallel universe in which we did, chose this, we did choose this pre-roll to play every single, every single Sunday morning of the year. So you rock up to church, ready to worship Jesus, you're like, praise him, he's so good. And then you watch this video that we're about to show you right now. condemnation of the sun, burdened by the weight of existence. To what end? What is it all for? Generations come, generations go. The news says to the old, this time it will be different, but nothing ever changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries around to rise again. How come rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full? Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. And no matter how much we hear, we are not content. But Jesus said, I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind, and he wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in all its fullness, until you overflow. Life to the max. All right, put your hands together for Jackson. I still think it's pretty cool, but it was a bit edgy. It was a bit edgy, and the feedback was that it was probably a bit too... Uh, depressing of a tone to start um, the service every week. Although we did bring in the John 1010, which is fantastic. But I think the issue was that we were trying to shine a greater light on John 1010 by contrasting it with something that we saw as uh, more depressing within 
the passages of Ecclesiastes. In reality, all we did was shine a light on the fact that we didn't really understand what Ecclesiastes was about at all. It was a gross misuse of Ecclesiastes. Yes, the book does deal with existential questions and topics about purpose. And he does say many times, King Solomon, that the only point in life is getting drunk and partying. He does say that a lot. <laughs> Just eat and drink and, and then one day you'll die. So that sounds very life-giving. But we misunderstood, really, there's plenty of meaning and purpose in the text. And there's plenty of wisdom found in the text. And Ecclesiastes holds lessons from the teacher that can help us find meaning in life. And ultimately, we've talked about this, but ultimately that purpose and that meaning is a life dedicated to God. The book isn't just depressing philosophy. It holds some of wisdom's life lessons. And I, I find it quite interesting to think of you know, this man that asked wisdom of God and he gained all, all the wealth and all the treasures in the world. And it was pre-incarnation of Jesus, but still coming to the conclusion that without God, we have nothing. That you could accumulate all the wealth in the world and it would mean nothing without God. So we're going to look through Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if you've turned there in your Bibles. And we're just going to highlight some of the key lessons of wisdom from this text. Because it's not just a depressing text. It has some life-giving pearls of wisdom. First one. We can learn the value of a good reputation. Have a look at verse 1. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. Why is that important? Why is that lesson of reputation important? Well, if you have a good rep, it's likely that you have a good character to back it. Unless you're bribing people to think nice things about you. <laughs> and as Christians, we're called to live an exemplary life. A life that emulates, imitates Christ. It's in our vision statement, become like Jesus. Christians are meant to have good character because we're becoming like the goodest character, Jesus Christ. We're following his ways, living according to his principles. The second pearl of wisdom from this chapter is contemplation of the brevity of life. In verse 2, it says this, It's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. How... Humbling is it? How sobering is it when you go to a memorial service? When you come face to face with mortality and the truth that life comes to an end, and although we know that there's hope for eternal life with Christ. But the good thing about com contemplating the brevity of life is that it helps us to appreciate the moments that we have and not take a single second for granted. It puts our time on earth into an eternal perspective. It's so true that sometimes the loss of a loved one's life gives us the perspective we need to truly live our own. Third pill of wisdom. Refining comes through sorrow. 
this is not one that the Gen Zs want to hear. <laughs> they want to hear, follow your heart. Become who you were truly meant to be. But refining, as in the process of developing your character, sanctification, it comes through sorrow, hardship. Verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter for sadness has a refining influence on us. So yes, we have sorrow in this life and we're promised that our tears will be wiped away one day, right? And sorrow, short, can be a product of the sinful fallen world that we live in, but there's wisdom in knowing that God uses sorrow for our benefit. He works all things together, does he not? Our character is refined through the fire of sorrow and heartache. Who you truly are is revealed when you're praised, <laughs> when people give you flattery, but also when you go through hardship. Who you truly are, you can't fake it anymore when you go through a challenge. It rises to the surface. And pruning hurts. And trial by fire, refining by fire, it hurts. But God uses that hurt and that sorrow to build character within us. Isn't that true? Yeah. The next pearl of wisdom. Accepting criticism from the wise. Verse 5, it says, Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Praise received from a fool is vapid, meaningless. Because they are fool. They're stupid. It might feel nice to hear flattering words from someone who's insincere or doesn't know what they're talking about, but they're not an expert, so it's really just empty words. On the other hand, whilst it might be painful to hear at times, receiving criticism from a wise person is far more beneficial. I want to encourage you tonight to embrace uncomfortable comfortable correction to seek out words from trusted people that have your best interests at heart that may be hard for you to hear sometimes we want to just go to our peers that are just going to talk us up and tell us that we're the best people in the world but I believe God moves and speaks to us through some very challenging messengers. Take all the Old Testament prophets, for example, right? A lot of people hated what they had to say, but it's what they needed to hear. Listen to this. If you can position yourself to be unoffendable and teachable, you can learn so much from the corrections of those who are more experienced in life. The next pearl of wisdom, finishing well. Verse 8 says, finishing is better than starting. You know, anyone can start something, but not everyone can finish something. Would anyone describe themselves as creative here? A creative type of person? Okay, no one. One person, fantastic. Two people, three, four, okay, awesome. If you, under, or maybe you live with someone creative, or maybe you've been frustrated with someone creative, because here's the thing about creative people, they like to start things, but they don't finish them. Tad up the back, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> the amount of short films he's written. The amount of pod... They were talking... Jackson and Tadi were talking before the service about how they started a podcast and they filmed like two episodes. 
And then it went nowhere. <laughs> but I'm not going to point the finger at them because I've done so many, started so many creative endeavors and just let them go. The amount of, I've got a whole uh, like binder of, diff I, I used to like writing fantasy and sci-fi stuff when I was a kid, right? And I have so many, uh, like I used to get paper and I used to bind it together with staplers and, and be like, I would figure out how many pages I wanted to write before I even started writing. So I'd bind together like, I don't know, a couple hundred pages <laughs> pages, and like, yeah, I'm going to write a full novel. And then you open it and like only the first two pages have words on it. The rest is blank. <laughs> I, when I was 14, I wrote a full uh, first draft of a novel. But that's the issue. I stopped at the first draft. I never went back to it. I was so bored after writing the first draft, I just gave up on it. I wanted to be a rock star when I was like 17. And I wrote about like 300 songs, but not one song that I properly produce and master, let alone like an EP or an album. I didn't even produce one song. We start a lot of things, but we don't finish a lot of things, let alone finishing things well. Here's the thing, when you finish your life poorly, as in you scrape to the finish line, you drag yourself, you claw yourself to the finish line. When you finish life poorly, you taint your legacy despite all all that you've achieved prior. So finish well. Sprint to the end. Sprint to the finish. I think about... <laughs> I hated doing cross-country in high school. Oh, my gosh. I would start running one minute in, I'd get a stitch. I'd be like, oh, teacher, please. No, keep going. And I was definitely not in the front of the pack. I used to be definitely in the back of the pack, maybe coming 50th out of... 51 people probably. <laughs> but something I would always do is in the last couple hundred meters, I would gun it. I would sprint. Even though I was coming dead last, I would still sprint. Because there's something good about sprinting to the finish. It doesn't matter how you started in life. It doesn't matter what twists and turns life threw at you. And it doesn't matter if you had a stitch in, in your first decade. <laughs> right? We've all been there. We've all had moments where we've messed up. But what matters is how you finish your race. So finish it well. Don't give up on your life's purpose and make sure you see it through to the end. 1 Corinthians 9, run in such a way as to get the prize. Yeah. There's a way to not get the prize. Choose the way that gets you the prize. <laughs> run for Jesus. Don't quit. Next pearl of wisdom. Be patient. Oh, that's a hard one to hear. Verse 8 says, patience is better than pride. Here's the thing about patience. I'm just going to have a sip, so be patient. That was not planned. I actually needed a sip. The thing about patience is when you choose to be patient, you choose to trust in God's plan over your own. Think about Abram and Sarah. They were not patient. God had a plan. They were not patient. They came up with their own plan. See how that worked out for them. But when you're patient, it shows that you know that throughout all seasons of life, God has a purpose and He is always faithful to His Word. There's wisdom in that. Amen? Next pillar of wisdom. Don't live in the past. Verse 10 says, don't long for the good old days. That's not wise. Here's the thing I know about God. With God, there's always more. There's always more. There's no end to His goodness. 
We were talking, who we were talking about the other day? I think we were talking about, in the staff office, we were talking about the good old days where we were in our church renaissance and, you know, it was 2018 and we were looking forward to, you know, the, the building renovation and the church was at 85% capacity every Sunday. And, and, and I was saying that when I picture images fr from that time in my mind, it, they, there's just a rose-colored tint to it all. You know, it's like, it's like the golden years, you know. And it's nice to reflect and dream and reminisce, but it's not always helpful because sometimes we miss out on the good and the blessing that God is giving us today. Yeah, His goodness is not a dry, parched well. It's a river that's flowing with life and there's new things to be explored and to receive and to appreciate and to thank Him for every single day. And we can miss out on that when we look back to the glory days. I think of Mr. Incredible in the movie The Incredibles. He, oh man, he, I mean, he, I can't blame him for his size. I'm getting there myself. I pray, Lord, that you help me. Um, but, you know, he kind of let things go a little bit and all he had to live for were the glory days. And it's a sad, vapid existence. But with God, there's always more. Let me tell you, if he's done good to you in the past, if you've seen blessing and healing and beauty from him in the past, then be sure that there's more goodness where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. And the key is to reflect on the past, learn from it, and then move on. Look forward to all that God has in store for you. The danger, the trap, is that if you cling to yesterday, you forfeit your ability to receive blessings tomorrow. Next pillar of wisdom is to seek wisdom. Sounds a bit redundant, I know. But look at verse 11 and 12. It says, being wise is as good as being rich. In fact, it's better. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life you see the world chases riches fame glory accolades you name it but wisdom is even more valuable than the greatest wealth it's important for us as Christians to seek godly wisdom Solomon asked for it do we as Christians do we ask for wisdom from God do we have a passion to seek wisdom from him godly wisdom I believe as we read the Bible we should be asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in wisdom, to reveal to us truth. To, uh, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and illuminates Scripture to us and teaches us how to live a wise and godly life. And so should, we should desire wisdom because seeking wisdom is far more worth your time than seeking wealth. Amen? Next one. Follow God's ways. Verse 13. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what is made crooked? I love this one. Don't be so stubborn thinking that you know the best way to live life. I wrote this down. I said, when will you just give up and accept the way that God does things? <laughs> maybe that's, maybe I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> when will you just give up? We can be so stubborn sometimes, like a stubborn old mule. But when we learn to submit to his will, man, it's like we need, to, we need to be broken in like a Mustang. You know, just submit to his will. Life is so much easier when you choose to live according to the rules 
of the one who created the universe. <laughs> like, he created the universe. He created everything. He knitted us together in, in our mother's womb. And we think we know better. Can the clay speak to the potter and say, oh, I don't like the way you made me? I don't like the way you designed the universe? No, that's, that's vapid. <laughs> that's, that's meaningless. That's pointless to say that. He knows far greater than we do. And life is so much more meaningful and so much more beautiful when you finally learn to give up <laughs> and give control to God. If he made something straight, who could ever bend it? If he made something this way, who could ever change it and make it that way? No one can. That's impossible. And there's joy and purpose that can be found in life when you finally decide to submit your ways to him. Amen? Last one and then we'll move on to the next section. Last pearl of wisdom is this. Accept both blessing and difficulty in life. We set out in life wanting all the blessing and none of the difficulty. And it's painful when your expectations of a full blessing life are not met. It hurts. But there's a peace and a freedom in knowing and accepting that both will come to us. Whether we follow Jesus or not, you know, the clouds rain on the good and the wicked, you know, but the Lord is in control. Verse 14 says, enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Both prosperity and difficult times come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Jesus, he promised us that we would face hard times. We'd face troubles, tribulation, trials. But God can bless us with good things. And even if hard times come, he can bless us too. But let me tell you, life is much better when you accept the highs and the lows. I heard it said the other day at a Youth Alive meeting. It says, if the highs don't fill you, then the lows can't kill you. <laughs> or the Gen Z, Z people would say, if you live for the dub, you'll die by the L. <laughs> Which means if you live just for successes, then when you fail, it's going to kill you. But there's wisdom and freedom in knowing that Jesus is the winner man. And we are victorious in him. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're going backwards a little bit. Because we're missing next week's topic, uh, point four, I wanted to actually finish on Ecclesiastes 6, talking, kind of circling back around to the whole vanity theme that Pastor John brought up in the first week. I want to read actually from the New King James Version. We're going to read Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 9. It says this, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all his desires. Yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it's an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, well... I say that a stillborn child is better than he. Well, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness and its name is covered with darkness. 
though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to the one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have? Who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Vanity. It's, apart from words like probably is or a or the, (laughs) it's probably the most common word in this book, vanity. If you look just on Google or in your Oxford Dictionary, it would probably say that vanity means excessive pride or admiration of one's own achievement. Which is true, but quite often in this book, they use this definition. Vanity is the quality of being worthless or futile. So vanity can talk both about human pride, but also about worthless pursuits. Speaking of worthless pursuits, anyone pick up the Disney Wonders cards the last month? Anyone get them? Yeah, at Woolies? Were you you collecting them all, Steve? Oh, did you get all 100? Well, guess who got a hundred? I got a hundred. It started with me. Well, now let me just tell you that I can't even pick all these up. This is not even. This is not my one hundred. My one hundred is sitting in my bookshelf, like in pristine condition, in the in the binder that they give you. Right? These are all my spares. So, <laughs> um, if you want to if you want to come and, and take from my spares, if you need to con- complete your collection afterwards, then feel free to come up to me uh, during ministry time. (laughs) But I've got so many of these cards that are coming out of my ears. And it started with just like, you know, you go to the checkout and they're like, oh, you've you've earned this many cards. Would you like to collect them? I'm like, that's kind of babyish stuff. No, I'm fine. And then one day I was like, okay, sure, yeah, we'll we'll pick it up. And, you know, Jones opened them and he he loved looking at the different characters and then he just kind of threw them away on the floor. And then I picked them up off the floor. I'm like, Oh, this this artwork is pretty sick. Look, like they've got R2D2. I love him. They got C3PO. That's pretty sick. Oh, they've got Boba Fett. Oh my gosh. They've got Ahsoka from the new series. Oh my gosh. And then I realized, oh, I've actually got about 70 out of the 100. I might as well just keep collecting. And then so every every time I had to go to Woolies on the church card, <laughs> yeah, pick out the get the cards and collect them and open them up. I was, I was addicted. I, was, I just couldn't stop. And, uh, and Emma Jane, big shout out to Emma Jane, if you know her at the, at the checkout at, at Woolies Arendelle, she would, she would not just like, maybe I would just earn one, like in my shopping trip, I only spent like $35 or whatever. She'd slip me like an extra seven. <laughs> like she just, be, and then even when they ran out of cards, like they stopped giving them, um, I was like, oh, Emma Jane, like, you, you got any more cards? She's like, no, we ran out. I'm like, oh, I just need one more. I don't have the Stormtrooper card. And she's like, I think my daughter has the Stormtrooper at home. I'll bring it in. You... <laughs> so so she, she had a look. The, her daughter didn't have it. But she was willing to go to her own collection for me. But that's the lengths I went to, to complete my 100-card collection. Something that Teague said to me when I was about um, maybe 90 cards in, so getting, getting there, she said to me, <laughs> she said, Hamish, what are you going to do when you collected them all? 
I hadn't thought about it. Probably put them on my bookshelf to gather dust and then eventually one day throw in the bin. <laughs> Vanity. <laughs> Meaningless. <laughs> Useless. What a pathetic, empty, unsatisfactory, futile pursuit. And this word vanity, <laughs> it, it's so much more than just looking for a hundred Disney cards. Because Solomon's talking about basically every pursuit in life. Ultimately, he comes to the conclusion, vanity, vapid, vanity. The Hebrew word is havel. And it means grasping for the wind, smoke, mist, vapor. It means emptiness unsatisfactory, futile, an enigma. Hevel, it's a vain pursuit. It's like smoke. It's like an object that appears before you but dissipates when you try and touch it. The thing about smoke and vapor is that they not only disappear quickly but neither can be grasped or held onto. It's like sand running through your fingers or a mirage in the desert. And there's so many pursuits in life that we think are important. Man, I put so much effort into my collection, but it's meaningless. We put effort into careers and to gaining accolades and to, you know, boosting our social media presence. But what does it all come to? There's so many things we think we can grasp, but once we hold on to them, they don't give us the happiness that we thought they would give us. It's like trying to grasp the wind. It's pointless, futile, vanity. What's the point of these things? What's the point of accumulating wealth without the opportunity to enjoy it? You die before you can really enjoy it. What's the point of living a long life without having any deep experiences? What's the point of living for today if there's no guarantee of tomorrow? What's the point of working hard just to leave an inheritance to someone who didn't work for it and doesn't care that much about it anyway? What's the point of accomplishing great things just to end up being buried beside someone who accomplished absolutely nothing and not being remembered for anything you did anyway? What is the point? Where can we find meaning and purpose in life? Maybe you'll find purpose in your career. Maybe you think that working hard is going to make life really worth it. But what about the stress and the toil that it would take on you? The anxiety, sleepless nights, also a significant decrease in the quality of enjoyment in your life. And besides, once you've finally made a decent enough wealth, you'll probably be too old to enjoy it anyway, and you'll eventually pass it all on to some ungrateful brat who doesn't care about what you achieved anyway. Vanity. Or maybe you'll find meaning in pleasure. Drinking wine and staying up late and throwing parties. Maybe chasing pleasure is going to make life worthwhile. Go for it. You can live for your vacations. You can live for the weekend. Spending every free moment down the coast. You could live for partying and drinking, but it doesn't change the fact that Monday comes and you'll probably have a hangover. <laughs> Both of these things, chasing meaning in career, chasing purpose in pleasure, they are both ultimately hevel. 
So where can we find meaning in life? Where can we find purpose? Maybe in pursuing wisdom. Maybe pursuing wisdom will give me the happiness and purpose that I need. Maybe seeking knowledge and understanding will make life more meaningful. Well, you could give it a go. You could try. And even though wisdom does have its benefits, it sure comes with its troubles that ultimately make it hevel as well. Ecclesiastes 1.18, Solomon says, this is pretty depressing, the more you know, the more you hurt, and the more you understand, the more you suffer. So even though wisdom is technically better than foolishness, it's more ideal to be wise than it is to be a fool, but it doesn't guarantee any change in outcome in your life. Solomon says, well, we all end up in the same place. We all die one day. Ecclesiastes 1, 15 to 16, being wise got me nowhere. I tried it. I tried being foolish. I tried being wise. It got me nowhere. The same thing will happen to me that happens to the fools. Nothing makes sense. Wise or foolish, we all die and are soon forgotten. And so Solomon comes to the conclusion that all these things, chasing career, chasing pleasure, even chasing wisdom, in the end, are hevel. They are vain pursuits. And we've been using this definition of vanity as worthless and futile. But also, these things of chasing career, pleasure, and wisdom, in a way, they are vain pursuits of pride. In a way. They're prideful because our plans and our endeavors, the way we live our life, the way life turns out, it's all ultimately beyond our control. When we put our trust in our own accomplishments, our own achievements, we are trying to negate the truth that much in life is beyond our control and it all really falls at the mercies of God. Proverbs 16.9, we know this. We can make our plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. James 4, going to flick over to the New Testament. James 4.13, he says this, You should know better than to say, Oh, today or tomorrow we'll go to the city, we'll do business here for a year, and we'll make lots of money. What do you know about tomorrow? How can you be so sure about your life? It's nothing more than mist that appears for only a little while before it disappears, like a vapor. You should say, if the Lord lets us live, we will do these things. You don't know anything about your future. You can't plan your life. It's the Lord that determines our steps. We have no guarantee of anything in life other than the guarantee we have when we trust in God. Trusting in God. Without trusting God with our lives, we become full of vanity because we start to believe that we are in control of our purpose and destiny. That is the most vain thing I've ever heard. And so you come to the conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes. We've tried to seek purpose and meaning in career and accolades and achievement. We've tried to seek happiness and pleasure and, and lavish living. We've even tried to seek happiness and meaning in, in, in something highbrow like wisdom and philosophy. But ultimately, the only truly worthwhile endeavor 
The only meaningful pursuit is coming to face the fact that life is vanity without God and everything with Him. This is the conclusion that the King Solomon comes to at the end of Ecclesiastes. It's found in chapter 12, verse 13. He says this, Everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. Respect and obey God. This is what life's all about. It's not that you can't be wealthy, but it means that your wealth is nothing without God. It's self-serving. It's meaningless. It's vapid. It's not that you can't have pleasure and luxury in life. It's just that those things will never give you true joy if you don't have God. It's not that you can't pursue wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing. It's just that it leads to nothing if it's not godly wisdom and if you're not in obedience to Him. King Solomon, wisest man on the planet. But it meant nothing because he'd walked away from the Lord. His heart had grown cold, got, gone, gone cold towards God. He started worshipping idols. He had compromise. So even wisdom, while it might be attractive and while it might make you good in front of your peers, it means nothing if it's not in obedience if it's not in respect and reverence to God. And so we come to this conclusion at the end of this fantastic book, which I thought was all about, you know, being depressed. But really it's all about learning to live a life of honor and respect to God. Our conclusion is that God is what life is all about. And being on this side of the scriptures, being on this side of the resurrection, you can take it a step further as a Christian. Jesus is what this life is all about. Amen. Pastor John.